0: With that, why don't you take your Bibles to Psalm, and turn to Psalm 19. And this morning, we're going to start a series for five weeks called Holy Habits. Holy Habits. Have you ever found that, um, as you're probably like me, you're uh, always kind of, uh, you know, watching and trying to diet, lose weight. I found that over the month of December, I gained about eight pounds I'm going the wrong direction. Now, I have a motivation that maybe some of you don't, but nevertheless, I immediately like, okay, I need to get this thing back under control, get walking more, get going more. But what happens is uh, in our uh, health and well-being, we sometimes fall into where we we slack off, don't we? And, And the holidays are terrible times to... You know, try to make up for it. Even though you think, when I go to Aunt uh, Edna's or whatever, I am not going to eat that banana cream pie that she's w- world-renowned for, and you end up eating half of the thing. You just say, well, I didn't eat a lot of turkey, or you try to justify it till you hit the scales, and you see Aunt Edna's pie uh, on your scale. But uh, uh, nevertheless, you've found that the things that you, you want uh, to eat... Have you found that uh, a lot of times those are a little bit more of a challenge to be diligent in healthy regimens and eating? But the things that you're not supposed to eat or really shouldn't eat that are unhealthy, they're just in abundance. Commercials, billboards, and, and you're trying to walk the straight and narrow and eat right and exercise and do all those things. And you just find, man, it's so difficult. But what makes it difficult is that it requires intentionality from us? You can't just decide to go uh, eat somewhere and decide, well, I hope there's something I can order off the menu. It's helpful uh, to know ahead of time at what is there. Uh, you don't go to McDonald's trying to find, I guess they have salads, I guess you could do that. But uh, that's probably not the place to start. But you know what it requires, at least I'm just speaking for me, and I'm sure many of you, is it requires a word that we kind of don't like. And it's the word discipline. Then, you know, And that's why maybe I call this holy habits because that sounds a little less threatening. But really, uh, we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines. And disciplines is just those intentional actions by which, uh, talking about spiritual disciplines, that God has designed for us to grow and to know him uh, as believers. There's nothing more frustrating than to be about a task uh, and not have a goal or purpose in mind. You ever work somewhere and after a while you're doing something and you say, hey boss, why are we doing this? And he's like, I don't know. My boss told me that's just the way we got to do it. And you're just like so frustrating because you don't know why you're doing what you're doing. Sometimes as in, in our Christian walk, we engage or told to engage in a lot of uh, things and activities and yet really never understand what is the purpose, what is the goal. Spiritual disciplines, as we'll talk about, and again, we won't go as in-depth as, uh, as perhaps we could or should, But uh, we're going to look at five different areas. Um, And beginning today, we're going to look at uh, the first one, Bible intake. But we'll say more about that in a minute. One book that uh, to me is very helpful and uh, is by uh, a man by the name of Don Whitney. Don Whitney is a uh, professor teacher at the uh, Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And he's written a a great book. And I think I may order uh, some copies for those of you that were interested uh, maybe uh, here in a few weeks. But the book is called Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. And he has an excellent uh, inner uh, definition of what the spiritual disciplines are. And I'm going to show that on the screen. Don Whitney says the spiritual disciplines are those practices. And, you know, if, if, just when you hear the word discipline, call it a habit, okay? Just interchange that. The spiritual disciplines are those practices found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are the habits of devotion and experiential Christianity, not theoretical, experiential Christianity that have been practiced by the people of God since biblical times. And as I said, the purpose of spiritual habits, of spiritual discipline uh, we get an insight in First Timothy chapter four, verses seven and eight. And that'll be on the screen, and notice what it says. And this is the New Living Translation. I like the way it's worded. It says, "Do not waste." This is Paul writing. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. But here's the punchline: Instead, train or discipline your. Uh, if you have a New American Standard, train. Yourself to be godly. Verse 8. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is what? Much better. And notice this promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. And that's something that as we engage in a regular uh, habit of reading the word, prayer, worship, uh, whatever it is, fasting, uh, sharing the gospel, all those all those habits that God has designed for us to grow in godliness as we engage in these things. this is not something for the passive person, meaning it isn 't going to be here 's a little pill you can take, and you 're going to wake up the next morning and you 're just going to have all this understanding of the Word of God and a desire to pray and worship. No, this is involving training. And that interesting, that word discipline, it comes from a few, again, uh, the New American Standard uses the word discipline and we uh, the New Living has the word train or training for godliness. The word in, you know, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, right? Um, guess what? I didn't turn on my timer, so all that time is free. How about that? <clears throat> um, The New Testament was written in Greek, and so that word that is translated maybe in the New American Standard is discipline, other versions, train, exercise, I think the New King James says. The word in the Greek is the word gymnasia, gymnasia. Now think with me, because a lot of our English words come from Greek or Latin words, gymnasia. That sounds a little bit like gymnasium. That's where the word gymnasium comes from or gymnastics, and you know what happens in a gymnasium, at least it should happen in a gymnasium, uh, there's working out, there's exercising, there's sweating, and so the spiritual disciplines involve, if we could say it, uh, it involves a godly sweating, it involves effort, it involves work. Now sometimes, you know, uh, a grace people, and I don't mean grace church people, but grace, you know, we understand Uh, the wonderful, you know, teaching of grace, we always tend to, there's an extreme, what we might would say is a hyper grace, where it is just kind of a let go and let God, as if there is no role that we play uh, in our sanctification. As I said, the only thing we bring to our salvation that we bring is our sin. Jesus paid it all. He did it all. It's all to him, to him, you know, I owe. But But once we are saved by grace, it is the work of grace that moves us along in pursuing godliness. That is, uh, as we pray, our Father art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, the will of God in heaven, the picture of God of who I am in heaven, as Austin said, is I am perfect. in, In my position before God, I cannot improve on what Jesus has done. Do you understand that? I can't improve on that. But yet, the Bible says at the same time, pursue godliness, pursue holiness. So as I am growing in godliness, that the works that I do, uh-oh, works, you mean we do works? Yes, we are created, Ephesians 2, uh, uh, 2 8 and 9, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. It follows the believer. It follows the work of grace. You with me? And so as we pursue and put these um, uh, disciplines in action, I love what it said, uh, that it says that not only are these things beneficial because we are growing in godliness, we are growing to be closer in Christ's likeness and like God, but not only does it benefit us now, but in the life to come. So we could say that as As um, R.C. Sproul said, right now counts forever. Think about that. Right now counts forever. And so these habits are things that will benefit us as we live, but as as we move forward from this life to the next, these are areas. You know why? Because fundamentally, what does it say? It's training in godliness. It's not getting more religious. You with me? It's not getting more religious. It's, it's getting to know God better. As I draw closer to God, as I draw closer to the, the light of the gospel, what happens is that things in my life, what is that song that we sing? Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That as I get closer to what God is like, guess how that will affect me? It will affect me and change in my life. Not that I'm getting saved anew, uh, but yet that I am wanting and desiring to become more like him as I get closer to him. And that is the pursuit of godliness. And that is something that I have a suspicion we will be spending all eternity in being and pursuing and desiring God. That's not just a heavenly activity. We'll be desiring and longing and loving God for all eternity. So train yourself to be godly. Godliness is better. Now don't let that be your life verse for not working out or dieting or the gym, you know? It's kind of like when Paul said, the old King James, when he says, I, I buffet my body. It doesn't mean I buffet my body. It's the word buffet, okay? So make sure you have good Bible hermeneutics there. But let's pray. And as we start this morning, Father, we just thank you for your word, We thank you that you have designed these tools, Lord, to help us to grow in godliness. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be that which is acceptable and pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at the first one of these holy habits. And the first holy habit is what I call Bible intake. Now, I use the word intake, and that's not necessarily original with me, because if you say Bible reading or Bible, and you put something to it, because there's multiple ways that we have Bible intake. Right now, this is Bible intake, okay? We're, we're working with the Bible. We're, you're taking it in, I hope. You have a copy of the Scriptures. You're, 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 you're involved in Bible intake. I mentioned last week, uh, LifeWay, who is the uh, Southern Baptist arm of their publishing, and uh, they did some research a few years ago and researched about how do people grow in discipleship, and they looked at various ways. But the number one, the number one attribute of how people grow in their spiritual life is, guess what? Bible intake by exposing themselves to the word of God. Do you realize that God has designed that? I mean, from Genesis to Revelation, from Genesis to the maps, God, no, I'm kidding. God has, if it gets any warmer in here, I'll have to, you know, you all have to wake up, all right? Maybe they can get some air going. But um, uh, is everybody okay? Or maybe it's just me. Everybody? A little warm? Okay, it's always hard. This is the worst time to adjust that, Okay. You know, because it's beautiful outside, and we're trying to make you all happy. And remember when we used to hand out parkas, you know, because I got, uh, but anyway. But from Genesis to Revelation, all the way through, you see the priority and the prominence of the Word of God. The Word of God. And so as Christians, if we are going to take this Growing in godliness seriously, we've got to be people who take the word of God seriously. Uh, psalm 19 is a psalm of David, and probably next to Psalm 119, it is probably um, uh, one of the most explicit concerning the characteristics of the word of God. Look at how it begins in Psalm 19:1. Uh, it begins by declaring. Uh, the heavens, and you've heard this, the heavens declare <clears throat> the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. We, we serve a God who has intentionally revealed himself. The Bible says he's revealed himself in two different ways. And Psalm 19:1 says that he has revealed himself in creation, in nature. That's what Paul says in Romans one, isn't it? so that all men are without excuse because what can be made known of God is clearly revealed in the creation. Now, here's the limitation. Nobody has ever been saved by staring at a tree. You might get a wonderful feeling going to the Grand Canyon, seeing the mountains of uh, wherever, Wyoming. I don't know. Is Wyoming flat? I don't know. They're flat. They don't have any mountains. <laughs> all right, I got a D in geography. Um, Oceans. I'm an ocean guy, right? I I breathe when I'm near oceans, okay? People that grow up in the mountains, they feel the same way about mountains. And when you go and you're on the uh, ocean and a sunset and a beautiful day, I mean, that is just a wonderful feeling. And you sense the handiwork of God, right? A believer should have that sense. But it's limited in what it can do, You know, as Paul said, that man is without excuse because what can be made known of God is clearly seen, meaning that we live in a very orderly universe, and the idea that all this just kind of randomly fell into place over a couple of trillion years, it just, I mean, whether you believe in God, it just doesn't make sense, right? So Psalm 19.1 begins with this truth of what we would call general revelation. But then, and we won't read the rest of those verses, but the first verse, six verses talk about this general revelation that God has made himself known in creation. But the psalmist doesn't stop there because when he comes down to verse seven, he talks about that not only has God revealed himself in the creation, in, the, in what he's made, but he's also revealed himself in the written revelation. You with me? Not just creation, but he's also given us a word that there is uh, that God has specifically defined Himself through His Word, and that's what we want to examine here this morning. Is the last half of Psalm 19? There's 20, uh, or I'm sorry, there's 14 verses, and we're going to look at the last seven this morning. And I want you to notice with me, and I'm going to go through um, uh, some of these things pretty quickly. Um, because, again, it's there, there each one we could spend a lot of time on. But I want you to notice, first of all, what the psalmist says in verses 7 and 9 is a description of the Word of God, okay? A description of the Word of God. And, again, I hope you have uh, something to write down on, uh, log it into your phone and your, your notes or whatever, because, again, one of the ways, again, that you grow is you've got to be intentional, uh, and so, make use of this, or listen to it when it's online uh, later on uh, today or tonight, uh, whenever our audio guy puts it up. That's me, so that wasn't I wasn't being I wasn't being snarky. All right, but look at the description of the Word of God. Notice it's a perfect word. Verse seven: The law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. It is a perfect word. That means. The word of God is without stain. It's without blemish. Uh, it is something that is perfect. Notice, secondly, it is a sure word, a sure word. Also in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Actually, I actually have a different version on the screen. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And here, uh, this is what it means by a sure word. The testimony of the Lord is is sure or trustworthy. We can trust the word of God. You can rely upon the word of God. There's no fake news in the book, all right? Uh, God's word does not change. Notice thirdly, it is a right word. It is a right word. Verse eight, the precepts of the Lord are right. You wanna know the difference between right and wrong? The book tells you what is the difference between right and wrong. God's standard is right; it is a right word. The word precept; it is a precept is something that is that directs you. It's a directive word. Uh, it, it, It means that if you follow this precept, we might use the word principle. If you follow this precept, if you follow this principle, it will lead you to the goal. And in our case, what we're talking about is godliness or faithful living. It's like a line marked on a roadmap. Now, I know we don't have paper maps or, anymore, but I still like that. Remember the big old Rand McNally atlas, or not an atlas, but a roadmap. You know why I still like those? Because sometimes I like to see the big picture of where, and sometimes on the phone, you're trying to expand it, and then you hit a button, and all of a sudden, you got a commercial for Applebee's, and you're trying to figure out, how do I get out of this place? And I just like the simplicity of a roadmap, okay? And so, if I follow that road, it will lead me to the destination of where I want to go. The Bible gives us that Direction, if followed, you'll go where God wants you to go. Fourthly, it is a joyful word. What does it say in verse eight? Verse eight, it says the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. When you can trust something, when you hear the truth about something, when you're exposed uh, to the to the truth of God and the righteousness of God, there's a rejoicing. There's a settlement. One of the most frustrating places to be in my life and your life is to be in a place of indecisiveness or confusion. And you're trying to weigh, you know, and sometimes what makes it difficult is the contrast isn't real like, you do this. You're gonna die. You do this. You, you know it isn't quite. Sometimes it's that kind of that murky gray areas, right? And so the word of God. Now remember, the word of God works in tandem with the Holy Spirit in the believer's life to guide us. You with me? And so as we, you ever get a right answer, and you know it's a right answer, and you just feel that sense of relief, and you feel like that weight and that burden has been just kind of tossed aside, and you're like, oh, I mean, and you're in a good mood. You're not in a bad mood. You're not kicking the dog. You're not being snarky to your spouse. I mean, you're in a good mood. Why? Because this burden that you're carrying, you got some light, and that brings some joy because God has opened the light into a dark place. I don't care how dark the cloud may be right now in your life. The light of God's word brings joy to the believer's heart. It will bring joy into your life. But you got to expose yourself to it, okay? So the joyful word, it's a joyful word. I think of it this way, that uh, they've done studies uh, where they've observed children on a playground. And um, in one study, they observed these kids on a playground, and there was no fence There was no fence, and the children stayed as far away from the border lines or the areas and kind of huddled together and didn't separate, but they observed that when they played in a playground where there was clear boundaries and a fence, the kids were just all over, sometimes, you know, up against the fence or whatever. There's something about that when we understand, the Bible's like provides us guardrails. It provides... Uh, boundaries, and we feel safe. You know, we feel a sense of safety, and when we feel safe, it brings joy into our life. It brings, it doesn't, I'm not talking about a joy that's kind of a a giddy, you know, kind of this crazy Christianity where somebody slams their hand in the door, and they go, praise God. You know, I want to slap them. I mean, what are you talking about? Don't curse, but say something really terrible, you know, because that hurts, right? I mean, listen, life happens, and sometimes life stinks. Call it what it is, but don't live there. Don't be defined by it. The Bible gives us the ray of light. Why? Because God has breathed upon his word. 2 Timothy 3.16, the word of God, the NIV, literally says the word of God, that God, this is a God-breathed word, just like he breathed life into mankind. He breathed his life into this book. I like Dr. Phil. He says some good things, but his books, there's no life in those pages. There's life in these pages. There's life in these words here, okay? And don't go off on Dr. Phil. I'm not, not endorsing or whatever. Um, in verse 9, it says in that same thought that it um, Actually, that's the next one. I'm sorry. It's a pure word, but also it's a clean word. It's a clean word. What do you mean by that? Look at verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean. Now, the word fear of the Lord is... Uh, is a synonym or a word that kind of means the same thing as the word of God. You'll see, even though it's talking about the word of God, the psalmist uses different synonyms. And here he's talking about the word of God, but he calls the word of God, the fear of the Lord is clean. The fear of the Lord is clean. I think the New Living Translation has a a much better understanding of the intent here when it says in verse 9, because, again, fear of the Lord, it's a biblical word, but sometimes we misunderstand that. The New Living Translation in verse 9 says, reverence for the Lord. I think that's the idea of what the fear of the Lord, it's a, it's a, it's a reverence, okay? It's not living in a fear that God's going to just smash me and, you know, do something terrible. Um, and that's not, certainly not what the Bible means by that. But I think in our vernacular, I think we understand reverence or awe, uh, a reverence. Listen, I... Um, I feared my daddy. Now, it doesn't mean I feared him like he would just randomly start throwing me around and beating me. No, my dad loved me. But one of the worst things my mother could say is wait till your father gets home. He left Reynolds Metals at 4 o'clock and he was always usually home by 4.35 p.m. And if I did something rotten at 10 o'clock in the morning, between 10 o'clock and 4.35, you, you get where I'm coming from? And there would be times, maybe she was losing her mind, I don't know, maybe she just had grace, Man, I think that was probably more it, that she wouldn't tell him, right? But then there were times she didn't wait for 4.35. You know what she did? Because we had it on the wall. You Remember phones on the wall? Now, some of you have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) I didn't fear him, but I revered my father, right? Because he was in charge. He was in charge of our household. Well, that's what the psalmist says, that the reverence of the Lord um, is is clean. It's a clean word. Um, And the last here in these characteristics, number seven, it's a true word. It's a true word. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the ESV says, the rules of the Lord. Rules of the Lord. The rules of the Lord. Your NIV might say decrees or New King James says judgments. But the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. That means what God says is what ought to be. His judgments are true. His, His word is not up for vote. Um there there's no there's none of this. Um and you've heard me say this before is people say, Well, my truth is this. Well, my truth is this. No, there is truth, and it's truth is what God says that truth is. And so what God says is the first and last word on all things. But see, sometimes we're still not reconciled in our mind that this word is authoritative in our life. We're still debating that because when we come to the places of the word of God and it brings that counsel, that heavenly counsel into our life, we just say, well, there's a lot of different interpretations. I don't know what they are, but that's just kind of my you know, go-to slang that I'll say. Jesus said this. Remember what Jesus said in John 14, 6? Jesus said, I am the way and what? The truth. Not a truth. He's the truth because he's God in flesh. He's, God is the God who tells you the truth. That means God will tell you the truth about sin. He'll tell you the truth about forgiveness. He'll tell you the truth about heaven. He'll tell you the truth about hell. He'll tell you the truth about marriage. He'll tell you the truth about gender roles, male and female. Hello? Listen, don't, don't take your cues from the changing chaos of our culture. Because it is chaos. It is absolute chaos. But there is a sure, reliable standard that the Word of God, the Bible says, lasts forever. And so here as we talk about the description of God's Word, I want you to look secondly at the discernment of God's Word. The discernment, I'm going to try to walk through these uh, quickly as well, but the discernment of the Word of God. Discernment is the ability to, to split right and wrong. It's the ability to know what is good and what is bad. Discernment is to know right from wrong. So the discernment of the Word of God, the Word of God gives us a reliable tool by which we can discern and navigate through the complexities of our life, okay? So, notice then verse 11 that the Word of God warns. It warns us. It's a warning. The Word of God warns. If you were driving across or getting ready to go across the Sunshine Skyway Bridge in Tampa, and you saw a sign and roadblocks and everything flashing, saying the bridge is out, do not cross. That's a warning. And you say, well, they always say that. I was across there last week, and I was fine. My truth, I think it's fine. You disregard the warnings. And pastorally, one of the things that is always difficult is when, you know, you're, you're, you're shepherding other believers, and when they've disregarded biblical truth and biblical counsel and they've chosen to go their way, and maybe they've lopped in this phrase, which is, "is well, the Lord told me. See, when people start with that, I'll just say, well, nothing I can do. I can't veto God. Well, I don't know why you're coming to me and asking my opinion. I mean, because... God told you, then you need to do what God told you to do. But the problem is when they say something that God told me, I know, I know that, well, I don't want to get into specifics, but somebody who's trying to figure out who is he talking to. Um, But when somebody takes something and they've totally misapplied the Scripture to twist it to justify something that clearly the Bible Forbids, you know, that's where, and they say, well, I'm just going to do this. I'm, you know, I'm in love with this person, and I want to do this. I want to marry him, whatever. And they go down that road, and sadly, six months, a year, they're back saying, if I'd only listen. And I don't mean listen to me, but listen because they're Christians. They know the Lord. But we've all been there and done that where we've wanted something more, and we just thought if we could just bend and, you know, I know the Lord loves me, and it's all grace, and I'll just kind of do this. And, and you know what? We reap the consequences, don't we? And so the Bible is a, provides warnings to us, sins that we commit inadvertently. It warns us sins that we commit willfully. But the Scripture in verse 11, to get put that up there real quick, verse 11, it says, Moreover, by them your servant is warned. And notice this, in keeping them, it isn't just knowing them, it isn't just having it on a coffee mug, it isn't just going to Hobby Lobby and getting a cool plaque and putting it in your kitchen. You got to keep the word. You got to obey it. You got to do it. There is what? Great what? There's great reward. There's great benefit. Also, the word of God uh, in this discernment uncovers, verse 12, it uncovers It uncovers. Look at verse 12. Who can discern or who can know, who can differentiate their errors? The psalmist says. He says, Declare to me, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Uh, The psalmist is saying, Who can know their errors? Who can know what is sin in their life? You see, I think a lot of times what we fall into as we fall into situations not that we intentionally set out to say i'm really going to do i'm really going to mess this thing up i'm just going to go full throttle i'm going to run through all the red lights and i'm just going to i'm just going to create some chaos here there might be one or two people you know like that but for the most part that isn't what we well a lot of times you know what happens and maybe i'll just speak for myself i'm an expert on myself is <clears throat> i become spiritually insensitive You know what I mean by that? Meaning you're like, and it's because, if we could wind it back, it's because uh, something that we'll kind of talk around through all these things, that if, again, if I am not committing myself to some time in my life, you know, the Bible has a principle, uh, and I believe it's a principle in the New Covenant. I won't get into that. But I believe there's a principle in giving The Bible lays out in the Old Testament 10%. New Testament, I think there's new covenant giving. It doesn't limit to that. But just like the Sabbath in the Old Testament. You know, you work six days and you rest on the seventh, right? Well, we are not under the Sabbath, okay? We're not under the Old Covenant. That's the reason there's a whole thing of that. But the principle, nevertheless, I think is something that we can miss by going the other direction. That out of six days, God says, give me one day. Give me one day that is set aside for me. And sadly, even though we're like, no, we're New Covenant people, we're not Sabbatarians, you know what? We, we, I think we miss out on the principle that God has given us that a day is set aside as given unto the Lord. We've got a day that we do everything else. God says, give me 10%. Give me one day out of the seven. And he says, remember what Jesus said? The Sabbath... Was made for who? It was made to benefit us. A day of rest, a day in which we could dedicate to worshiping God, that we could set aside to just enjoying the presence of God. And it doesn't mean you can't, you know, do certain things. We don't want to be legalistic, but the point is, is that there, there, when we do not take those means that God has given us, it creates a coldness in our hearts and our lives. Because we're not into the Word, we don't pray. Oh, we might pray a prayer with our kids over food, but we're really not. We're not. We're not in the sunshine of God's presence, and there's no warmth in our life. And that's the reason we're cold and indifferent, and we say things and do things and got rotten attitudes. Why? Because we're not saved. No. It's because we've become spiritually desensitized. We're not sensitive. To the Spirit of God, there were things that we would do, that we would say, and immediately, has this happened to you? That immediately, the Holy Spirit would just say, "I don't think He should have said that. He's got a full-time job with me." Uh, why? And you and you had to rectify it, or you did something, or you acted in a certain way, and the Holy Spirit just wouldn't let you going to get away with that. Because why? Because there was a warmth and tenderness there of the presence of God. Is this making sense? Because I'll talk longer, okay? All right? I mean, it's true of me that it becomes evidence that, that there's just, and you know what? What we're talking about is regaining the warmth of God's spirit and, and life in our hearts because the world and the culture and situations, they're all going to be pounding at our door when you walk out of here. It's always beating at your door. You know? The Bible says, don't don't devour one another. He's he's saying that to Christians. Why do they do that? Because they've lost the spiritual sensitivity. The word of God gives us that spiritual sensitivity as it reveals and uncovers sin in our life. Psalm, uh, I think this is on the screen. David wrote in another place, Psalm 139, verse 23. He prayed the prayer, search me, O God, and know my heart try me and know my thoughts. I think one version says, know my secret thoughts. You see, there's a limit of how much we really can know about ourselves. We need the probing work of God in His Word to dig deep into our life. And I suspect, just like, you know, if you, if you come to me, and probably many of you, and you ask me what I think about something, sometimes I will start it this way. Now, can we get it in writing Melissa that you're asking me my opinion because probably what I'm going to tell you is not going to be what you hope to validate because I'm probably going to make you irritated but I will tell you the truth not that she's ever done that okay she did not do anything wrong all right I'm checking no. why why do we avoid certain people because we know what they're going to tell us like it is Let me tell you something. You know what the Word of God does? It'll tell it like it is. It'll cut into your heart and reveal that that is the most boneheaded idea you have ever had. You ever argue with God? James, James 1. Uh, This is so telling. Notice what it, how it shows what the Word of God does. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man or woman who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For they, he looks at himself in the mirror. The Word of God's like a mirror, looking himself in the mirror. Verse 24, for he looks at himself or herself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. It's like you look in the mirror and you realize that you've, you know, guys with beards have to be careful because they they pick up unintended souvenirs. You look in the mirror and you're like, okay, I got a piece of broccoli hanging off my cheek. I got to preach. I don't have time to deal with that. So I'm up here the whole time and I got something hanging off my face. You'd, You'd be like, my wife would probably get me before you would. In other words, I look in the mirror and I see a defect because the Word of God is like a mirror. You with me? And I look at it and I say, yeah, that's not right. Oh, well. That's what he says that the person that looks intently at the Word of God, because the Word of God is a revealing. It reveals. But what do we do? We have to accept it and not walk away. Notice what he says in verse 25. But the opposite, but the one who looks unto the, notice how he describes the Bible, the Word of God. The one who looks into the perfect law, perfect, the law of liberty, so i talking about the Word of God, and does what? Perseveres, sticks with it. Being no just, no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, they will be blessed in their what they're doing. If anyone thinks they're religious, and I found this maybe I don't have that verse, I cut it off. But it's interesting, because the very next verse he gets into is our mouths and tongues, Because that's usually, usually, what gets us in trouble, right? Is the tongue. Hebrews 4:12. You know the scripture for the word of God is living and active. Sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul, spirit, of joints, a marrow, and discerning. There it is, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The reason we avoid the word of God, I'm afraid, is because sometimes we don't like what it says. And so we become the arbiter of what we're gonna obey and what we're not gonna obey. And God says, It's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. It's a discerning tool. And the writer of Hebrews reminds that. This last part, uh, third, we've looked at the description, the discerning, but notice our devotion to the Word of God. Verse 14, and I'm going to get just some real quick practical things. The psalmist says in verse 14, last verse of the psalm, prayer I pray, usually every Sunday before I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Let the words of my mouth, it's personal. It's a personal devotion. The meditation of my heart. You see, David's desire was to be blameless, to stand before God in purity. The goal wasn't sinless perfection, but rather it was avoid doing that which displeases God. It was finding those paths of righteousness that that God could bless and be pleased with. He would say later in Psalm 119, and it's not on the screen, how can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? Psalm 119 verse uh, 9. So why did I spend all this time talking up front about the character of the word of God instead of just cutting to the chase and getting to give me some five practical things to do? Because here's the deal. The practical stuff is the easy part. That's the easy part. Some of you, unless you take and move from treating the Bible as another self-help book and accept it as the very word of God to your life, then that self-help book will only be as good until something more helpful to yourself Comes along because you have yet, the jury is still out of whether what the word says about itself is true. And until you come to that place that God has spoken to us, God has given words, he's given Christ who authenticated by his fulfillment of, the pro- of prophecy And the word of Christ, when he taught and affirmed the word of God, that that until I come to that place, that this in my life is an authoritative word, then I can go through a bunch of religious motions and habits until I get tired of it, bored with it, or until Phil or Oprah or whoever else pops in another book or something along, comes along more interesting and more popular. Really, I pick on those guys, but you know the culprits now is the shallowness of the evangelical church. Here's some practical things. And the thing is, this is where, there's not going to be much elaboration Because all these things require you to take responsibility for your spiritual growth. You gotta be responsible. Nobody's gonna hold your hand and say, Did you read your Bible today? Did you pray? Can I be blunt? Grow up. Grow up. Get with the program. That's not legalism. That's just your pastor, whoever you allow me to pastor. I don't know your pastor, everybody here. But I'm telling you, as a pastor, to those of you who allow me that privilege, to just grow up. Get moving in what God has called you to do. And God has called you to pursue godliness. God has called me to pursue godliness. Here they are, real quick. You gotta read it. You gotta read the word. You got to read it. Listen, we live in a technological day where I can listen to it. Listen to it, read it, be exposed to it. If reading is, not, is difficult for you, there are free apps and things that you can listen to the Word of God being read. There's no excuse. Read it to get a plan. Uh, if you go to our website, the hisgrace.com, there's a heading at the very top that says Holy Habit Resources. And every week, I'll add to it this first one of Bible intake. I've given you links to about five or six different resources that you can go to of how to develop a reading plan. Don't worry about reading the Bible through in a year. Read the book of John in a year. How about that? Read the book of Mark. Don't read Jude in a year. That's, that's not, you know, that's one chapter, so... Listen, it, you know what I say all the time? It's not quantity of reading. It's what? Quality of reading. If you're reading, and I've done it, I still do it. I have to go back. Where you're just reading, and you're like, I have no idea what I just read. Because I was thinking about calling Paul about men's group, and I was thinking, and I'm reading, and I'm going, you know, but my mind is off in la-la land. I was like, okay, I'm going to read it again. I think, Tim, come on, pay attention that's just that's normal okay but whatever it is you do do it in a way that it's consistent and that you're benefiting by it if you go to our website look for the holy habits resources every week i'll put stuff up there and you take responsibility to look at it if you want to have if you want to learn how to have a quiet time a time where you can pray and read the word every day and 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 all that I've got a resource up there that'll uh, from the navigators. There's all sorts of things, and I'll probably add a few more later. So read it, read the word. Secondly, reflect on it. Listen, meditation uh, kind of got a word that got hijacked by the Eastern religionists, but meditation is, is a biblical concept, not the you know not the Eastern concept of you know um, chanting and all that nonsense. But meditation just means thinking about. Uh, you, you know, what you read. Take, instead of trying to read all this and think, how about sometimes just take 15 minutes, take a scripture, take that scripture, Psalms 19:1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and take five minutes, five minutes. You got to work early, you're sitting in your car, or wherever, and you're just thinking about how this creation declares God all over it. And you begin to look at creation, and you begin to look at all these things, and all you're doing is you're just, you're just thinking, and you're just contemplating that one verse. That's meditation, okay? It's not getting off in the lotus position and, you know, doing whatever and chanting or that nonsense. It's just thinking about allowing the Word of God to, to marinate your soul. You know what happens when you marinate something? To, you just, you let it, you know, if you really do it right, you let it work overnight, Right? Because you really want that meat to have that. You want it to be soaked in that stuff, right? You want that taste, right? Allow the word of God to marinate your life where you're just thinking about God. You're just taking and contemplating and begin to say, God, you are so wonderful that you created all this, and yet you know me, that you love me. You created Jupiter and Mars and Pluto and You created the moons and the galaxies and Milky Ways and who knows what else is out there. And God, who am I that you are? That's what the psalmist says. Who am I that you are mindful of me? That you would save me. I'm a nobody. But God, you declared that I am somebody of great eternal worth because Ephesians 1.11 says, you chose me before the foundation of the world. Let's just meditate on that. Think about that. Thirdly, remember it. Read it, reflect, remember it. I know memorization is tough, but it's amazing the things that we can remember that we don't want to remember, right? 300 Empire. I didn't try to memorize that. I didn't try to memorize that. You ever be in the store and they'll play some song that you hated? The pina colada song, Rupert, whatever that. I hate that song. I run through the house screaming and yelling, pulling my hair out if I ever no. And yet, what do you hear all day long? You just hear that song. You know? You know what? It's amazing. If you want to remember the word of God, if you want to memorize the word of God, here's a tip. You'll hear it here first. Don't try to memorize it. So what are you talking about? Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. Take one verse, write on a three by five card, and for a month, do nothing but just read it. Meditate on it. Think about it. That one verse... You do that every month. You'll memorize 12 verses in a year. And don't try to memorize it. Just read it. Just read it. Because we do that all the time. We see stuff and we remember. And just let it. And that goes back to that reflecting part. Is just allow the word of God where you can remember it. Psalm 119.11. It's not on the screen. But the psalmist says that I have hidden. I have hidden, hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word hide means to treasure. It means to store up. I remember listening to Chuck Swindoll. How many of you know Charles Swindoll, his great Bible teacher? And I remember years ago, I was listening to him on the radio. He used to listen to him a lot more. And I remember one time he was talking about he was at a conference where he was speaking. And after the conference, he went back to his hotel and he had had dinner with some folks. And um, they had gone their way and gone home and he was got on the elevator to go up to his room. And as he got on the elevator, uh, a, a, a very attractive woman got on the elevator with him. And as they were going to whatever floor he was on or wherever they were going, uh, she made it clear that for a certain fee, she could, we'll just say, be his date for the night. You with me? Do I need to draw pictures? All right, we're with them. And he said this. He said, you know what went through my mind? He said, it wasn't, it wasn't that if I do this, my reputation, national ministry, wife, family, he said, those came later. He said, that wasn't the first thing that came to my mind of what destruction this choice would be. He said, you know what came to my mind? He said, the scripture in Galatians, a man sows what, uh, reaps what he sows, God is not mocked. What came to his mind was the word of God that he had hidden away in his heart. And he got off that elevator by himself. And that was a victory for Charles Swindoll. And it was a victory for the kingdom of God. See, the psalmist says, I've hidden, I've stored up thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's the value of remembering the word. Fourth is recounted. That means sharing it with somebody. Telling people about what you're learning and what you're growing in. We'll talk about evangelism. And fifth, and we've been talking about this really all around this, is respond to it. Respond to the word. Let me read James one more time. James 1. Actually, we read it early. I'm sorry. I've got it twice. You see, the, and we'll, we'll close with this. Sherry, come on. Always... Say this, and it wasn't original to me. I heard Charles Stanley say this years ago. and never forgot it. Always obey the word of God and leave all the consequences to him. You see, unless... Here, go back. I'm not going to read that scripture. Read it. Reflect on it. Remember it. Recount it. But if we don't do the fifth, what have we done? We feel more religious, right? But if we don't respond to it, Jesus says, if you love me, if you love me, do what? Keep my word. What are we doing all this for? It's what we said earlier. Train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. Why are we discipling? Why are we involved in these things? In order to grow in godliness, to grow in Christ likeness. God has given the means of tools by which we can do this. We're going to talk about prayer next week and make it real simple because, listen, all of these things, all of these things, listen, I struggle with all of these things. All of these things are daily being competed for my time, my energy. And you know what? I need these as much as anybody in this room. And so we're going to talk about prayer next week. Let's stand to our feet as we close this morning.